0: Hi, my name's Brad. Uh, Nice to sort of meet you all. Um, Tomorrow night, if y'all can make it out to the Ballard Homestead, is where we're gonna be doing our annual meeting. Uh, Ballard Homestead is one half block east of 24th on 65th. If you need a map, if you uh, need uh, directions or anything, see me afterwards. It's also on the website. It's nine blocks that way, exactly nine blocks. Uh, If you go down 65th, you're gonna see a street called Jones turn right on Jones. It's up about halfway on the left-hand side. You'll see this cool little craftsman building that's been redone and a big sign that says Ballard Homestead right in front of it. Uh, we'll be meeting upstairs. There's a, a gathering room. It, uh, it used to be a church uh, back like in 1912. It hasn't been used in a long time. It's been redone. It's a really cool space. Uh, downstairs will be a Young Life meeting. If you wanna to go to the Young Life meeting, uh, just be prepared for a lot of energy. My friend Blake runs the Young Life and he's a crazy guy. Uh, but go to that, but then come upstairs because we've got some cool stuff to talk about. We'll be talking about what's going on with the church. Uh, all of Bethany, we have some initiatives that are really exciting, what God is doing with us, where we're going the next year, and then specifically we'll start talking about um, our campus, our location, what we see God doing, uh, writing some cool stories in, in our midst. So please come. Uh, see me afterwards for directions, uh, how to get there. You can also Google Ballard Homestead or Bing, whatever you want to use. Um, Ballard Homestead, uh, it'll pop up. It's a pretty cool place, but hopefully you'll be able to join us. Uh, there is another place uh, that I want to let you guys know of and it's on my couch. Um, nice segue in- into what we'll be talking about today. There's a place on my couch. I have, we have an L-shaped couch, kind of like that. There. Um, and there's this place where if you get in the right position, and I hope to be there sometime this afternoon, uh, if you get in the right position, you will instantly feel tired and you will go to sleep. It's, it's a proven, uh, it's, it's proven, uh, even if you're not tired, you will fall asleep. And then if you have a snoring problem like I do, uh, it disturbs the show that your wife is trying to watch. Um, and then she's gracious and says, no, you weren't snoring that bad. It's like, yeah, right. I am loud. Um, But this place on the couch is an easy place to find a little bit of rest. It's also the place which my uh, 11-month-old, almost a one-year-old son, likes to come and scream if you're laying there. Uh, You're not busy enough. He wants you to play, and he'll go, bah, and try to get you up. But it's a place of rest. It's the couch. There's another place uh, uh, off of Green Lake. It's on the north, north end of the lake. If you it's kind of hidden which is the best Uh, but if you go through some trees and you move the branches out of the way there's a rock that sits on this sort of little point and you could sit on that rock and the trees and the branches insulate the sound from everybody walking by and the cars going by and you're out on this little bit of a point and you can't see anybody around you and it feels like you have the entire lake to yourself if you find it and I come walking I found it first please get out of my place Uh, But it's a place of rest. It's a place where the world seems to disappear a little bit, and it's quiet, and it's really a nice place. There's this unsuspecting parking lot on top of Finney Ridge. Uh, I won't tell you where that one's at, Uh, but you can park there, and through this little arch that they grow grapes on in that little pea patch, Uh, you can look out, you can park your car early in the morning where no one cares where you're parking and take up three spots and park your car right there. And you can see through this little arch, uh, Ballard, most of it. You can't see up towards Sunset. You can't see up towards Crown Hill or anything, but you can see most of Ballard from the locks all the way up to where the trees come in. You can't see anymore, but you can see a lot of this, of this neighborhood. Uh, this past week, it's been really fun to go up there, and then you see the fog working its way through the streets, kind of like water coming over rocks. And then the fog dissipates, and you see the streets come alive. It's a parking lot, but it's restful. It's a nice place to pray. It's a nice place to go and ponder. It's restful. We have these places of rest in our lives, these places where we go And we stopped, places where we're allowed to think. We had this trail in California where we'd walk up this hill. And from top of this hill, we're able to see most all of Orange County, all the way from L.A. down to parts of Laguna and the ocean. And it was this beautiful place. And it was restful. It was peaceful. Today, we're talking about rest. Uh, In our constant series, we've been looking at how things were intended to be, how they got fouled up, how Jesus comes and brings us hope, and then how we can live into that hope. And today we're talking about rest. And after a week like we've just had, with the turmoil happening, uh, with some people being elated, some people being brokenhearted, some people confused, we're all on different parts of it. But we can all agree that we as a culture need some rest, right? We need a break. It's been a rough few months. And so in Genesis, God brings out this type of rest and what it looks like. And we're, we're familiar with the creation story. We've talked about it for the last six weeks, how things have began. But there's this little piece in the Genesis story that we tend to overlook. In every day of creation, there's there's a little repetition that happens. Repetition in Jewish poetry is, is what they wanted you to get from it. And so the very first thing and everything is, and God said, and you go down a day, and God said, and you go down a day, and God said. And then the next piece of repetition is, let there be, let there be, let there be. And then another piece is, and there was evening, and then there was morning. And then the next piece is, and it was good. So you have those pieces of repetition. And have we ever asked the question of, why does it say there was evening and then there was morning? For instance, look with me in the first slide, uh, uh, Genesis 1, chapter 5, just to bring bring one out as an example. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and then there was evening, and then there was morning, the first day. It happens in verse 8, verse 19, verse 23, verse 31. It's a theme that we begin to see. Evening, morning, evening, morning. It's to show us something. The day that we're used to, we wake up and begin our day. You wake up from rest and you start your day and then you end your day with rest. But the rhythm that we pick up in in Genesis 1 The first thing that God does throughout the day is sleep. Today would have started last night. Sundown the day before is the beginning of the next day. There was evening. There was morning. Day. Your day begins the night before. This is the rhythm that God sets into creation. This rhythm of we work from a place of rest we've switched it and reworked so that we can rest. But God says, you rest first. The first thing that you're supposed to do, the first thing that you're made for is to rest. And God continues and he starts, and he makes everything. He makes the day seven. There's evening, morning, day, evening, morning. Your day starts in the evening with rest. And then he gets to chapter 2. The heavens and the earth were all completed in their vast array. And by the seventh day of work, he, everything, this is a, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So in the seventh day, he rested from, from all work. The idea behind the word rest is not just to kick back and put on the football game. There's an idea there that the rest is meant to restore you. So from rest... You go on into your next adventure. Rest brings you forward. Rest pulls you out. And then in verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and he hallowed it because on it God rested from all the work that he had done. There's a lot of things happening here. One of the first rules that you'll get to when you start reading your Bible is you want to see when the first time certain words were used. The first time something is ever called holy is right here it wasn't a it wasn't a thing it wasn't a space it wasn't that place on my couch it wasn't anything that we can create the first thing that god calls holy is a time and during the time the very first holy thing that we could ever do is rest but we look at rest and think that resting is for the lazy you don't take a nap. You don't rest because now you're not working. And we're Americans, right? We pride ourselves on our hard work ethic. Some of us do. And, and, but we think that we have to work hard. We have to put in all this time. That's what defines us. But the very first thing that God calls holy isn't the work that he did. It's the rest that he did in order for him to work. Resting means that we give up control of something, right? Right? When you're resting, you're not doing. When you're resting, you're not creating. The word rest is Sabbath. When we have a Sabbath, we give up work. And it's hard for us to give up controlling because we like to control things. We like to control people. We like to control our spouses. We like to control our coworkers. We like to control our dogs and our pets, and our neighbors, and our cars. We enjoy control, but the idea of resting means that we give up control. Not in fear that it won't get done, but in fear that God holds all of this in His care, in His grip, and we don't have to control things all the time. So God created a Sabbath. He created this place of rest to make a statement about the world. And when we practice a Sabbath, when we practice a rest, we announce to the world that the world is safely in God's hands. We don't have to control or manipulate anymore. It teaches us that the world relies on God's promises and not our efforts. The observance of the Sabbath is a break from every effort that we have to achieve, to secure ourselves and to make the world into our images and to our purposes the sabbath was a move away from us trying to hold on to things so tightly it was the end to exploiting ourselves it was a way for us to sit back and breathe and remember why we were here in the first place This is why Sabbath was there. And so God institutes this this job of Sabbath to creation. He says, remember this day, keep it holy. It was created as holy, therefore keep it holy. Set it apart from all the other things that you do so you will rest and remember who you are, that you're not defined by your work or what you can control, but you're defined by what God says about you. Not what your work says about you. And so in Exodus, the people of Israel go into exile. The people of Israel are called out of exile and God is reinstituting for them what it means to be human. And he gives them 10 words. We call it the 10 commandments, but he gives them 10 things to do. And in verse eight, the fourth one, he says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. This is important to God. This is the second time he's mentioned it. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Six days you'll labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you will, do, you will do no work. How much work does that leave out? When you hear that, how much work are we supposed to do? Thank you, faith. Faith's fantastic. So we, that means we do no work on the Sabbath. And he continues, neither you nor your son or your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Does that cover everybody? It means no work is happening on the Sabbath, for for in it six days, for in six days God the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the Sabbath, on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord called, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In the Ten Commandments, you see two things. You see you shall and you shall not. You will not kill people. That means you will honor all life. So that's how the commandments work. Here, it's you shall stop and rest. Therefore, you shall not work. And this was an important thing to God. He wanted his people to realize that they were created for more than their jobs. That there is a rhythm to their lives. And when we step out of the rhythm of rest, we lose a little piece of ourselves. We lose our humanity. And so this law is what God creates, and he takes it seriously. But the people, us, Israel, all through Scripture, what we see is that they forgot to obey the law. And so God says it again in Exodus 31. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. He says it's holy to you. This time he's saying it's them, not him. It's holy to you. And anyone who desecrates it will be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath day of rest. Holy to the Lord, whoever does work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Pretty clear, right? You do work, God's going to take you out. That's what he wanted the people of Israel to realize. But they had a hard time doing it. Remember the story of manna. Manna would come down every morning. There would be just enough for that day. And they were supposed to rest in the fact that there is enough manna to last them that day. The next day would come and there would be more manna. We, re- do we remember the story? They go out and they harvest too much and then the manna goes bad overnight and they have rotting maggots in their home because they couldn't rest in the fact that God would take care of them and supply all of their needs for that day on the day before the sabbath on friday night because sabbath began at sundown the day before on friday night they were supposed to go out and gather enough for that day and the sabbath day god would cover both days and still what happens is they gather too much and when they gather too much they weren't trusting that god would provide everything for them and it would go bad and they would have maggots they refused to enter into this sabbath time they refused to rest. They were holding on too tightly. And so God does exactly what he said he was going to do. This will all make sense. Trust me, it'll all come around. In Ezekiel, God says in verse 12, I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between us so they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. And in verse 13, Ezekiel twenty thirteen, yet the people of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not follow my decrees, but they rejected my laws, by which the person who obeys them will live. And they utterly desecrated my Sabbaths. So I, so I said I would pour my wrath upon them and destroy them in the wilderness. God took these Sabbath things pretty seriously. And when Israel went into exile for not following the law of God, for not living into their covenant, one of the main reasons was they didn't follow a sabbath they didn't follow god's rhythm for life of rest and work they began to define themselves by what they did and they forgot to set time apart to remember who made them in the first place so when they come out of exile one of the first things they do is they try to figure out, like we did, where did all of this go wrong? And so they make more rules about what it meant to be a Sabbath. The Sabbath was was easy. Don't work. That was the rule. But in order to make sure that they didn't work, they made rules around the Sabbath to make sure you didn't get too close. It's like saying the speed limit's 25. But we're going to make the speed limit 15, so you never get close to 25 in the first place. That's how they manage this. So it looked like this. Uh, The rule in Leviticus says you are not allowed to plant or harvest. Simple rule. Don't go planting things on the Sabbath day. What the Pharisees did is they backed it out a little bit. You can't harvest on the Sabbath. So you will not be allowed to look in a mirror. Because if you look in a mirror, if you have hair, you might see a gray hair. And if you see a gray hair, your temptation will be to For me, celebrate because there's hair. (laughs) But for some of you with glorious heads of hair, uh, if you see a gray hair, your temptation will be to pull it out. Therefore, harvesting. (laughs) And you will be working because you are harvesting on a Sabbath day. There was another rule. You will not be allowed to plant on the Sabbath day. So, if you're eating something and you get something stuck in your mouth and you need to spit it out, you are not allowed to spit on the Sabbath day. For if you spit, the saliva will go into the ground and it might germinate a seed that has been buried down there for a long time. And when your saliva, water, hits it, it will then germinate and the seed will begin to grow. Therefore, you are planting. So you will not plant and you will not harvest on the Sabbath day. Do you see how this rule of rest, this thing that's supposed to make you more human, became more work than it should have been? You see how the idea of Sabbath, which brought you back to center, which brought you back to the place where you see God In everything about you where you see his reign where you see his rule when you see how you were created you see how these rules can come on top of it and cause a disruption and bring you further and further away from what it was intended to be we lost what it meant to rest because we were so defined on our results the spirit of the Sabbath was a time of refreshment It was a time to be renewed. It was a time where you put God back at the center of everything because he is where you found your rest. Israel found their rest instead in their laws. And without Sabbath, they began to think that they were the ones in control. And then they began to feel the consequences, not only nationalistically, but personally because it's exhausting to always be in control of something. It's exhausting to be dictating people's responses. They would go around like police and point out when people were not doing the Sabbath day. They were convinced that if all of them would keep the Sabbath the way that they thought it was supposed to be kept, that's when God's kingdom would appear. There was pressure put on the Sabbath that actually made it more work than there ever should have been. They were holding on to this thing a bit too tightly. And we fall into this all the time, don't we? We don't want to rest. We don't want to take a break. We don't want to spend time in silence or solitude because the first thing we think of is everything that's not getting done. Everything that we're supposed to be doing Everything that we define ourselves by doing. And then we start running ourselves ragged. We start worrying if you're like me. You start having these anxiety attacks. You lose sleep. Your anxiety spikes and your relationships suffer because you're so tired because you haven't had a good night's sleep in how many days now? And we start to feel this ramifications and the consequences of having no Sabbath. And perhaps God hasn't taken you out by now But maybe you're already taking yourself out because you've run yourself so exhausted until now. And we feel this disruption of Sabbath. We try and control it. We'll look at our schedule and we'll say, from now on, I will do this the problem is you've made another rule. From now on, I will not harvest on the Sabbath day. And then you see a gray hair, and then you have more rules and more rules. I will use just for men from here on out and have no more gray hairs. From now on, you'll have another rule, which will take another piece of work to keep you away from the Sabbath. We start holding on to things way too tightly. I, had, I was learning how to golf in... For those of you who play golf, you might know about this. Uh, there's this trick that you have, and you have to hold the golf club at just the right grip. I was first learning, and I had a, I had a mean grip on the thing, and I was out golfing. One of my mentors uh, took me golfing all the time, and I was holding the golf club, and I was just gripping on so tightly. Uh, my knuckles were white. By the third hole, my hands were just exhausted, And he's trying to figure out why my swing is going every which way but the right way. I'm shanking balls to the left, to the right, but nothing straight. And so Darren was his name. He looks back and goes, "How tight are you holding on to that thing?" And I said, "Aren't you supposed to hold on tightly?" He says, "The tighter you hold on to it, the less the club is actually doing the work, and the more you're doing the work, and you mess up." He says, "Loosen your grip." And sure enough, I loosened my grip, and then the club went flying across the fairway. He said, maybe not that loose. And he told me this, he said, hold it like you're holding a bird. Yeah, I like birds, so it made sense. (laughs) Hold it like you're holding a bird. You don't want to hold it so loose that that the bird flies away and you lose it and you have to go catch it again. But you don't want to hold it so tightly that you're like Petey and Pretty Bird and pretty soon you've strangled the thing to death. He says you want to hold it just in the middle to where you are allowing the club to do the work. And I think that's pretty much what the Sabbath does to us. It loosens our grip enough so that we remember who's really doing the work here. Is it the golf club or is it me? Is it God or is it us? Who's carrying the brunt of the load who's in control of this because that's what the sabbath did it reminded us that we can actually go away and god is still going to make the sun come up tomorrow and go down at the end of the day things will still happen the way they're supposed to happen that's why this passage in mark is one of my favorites tim read it it's mark 35 the disciples have had a long day. They've been with Jesus for a while. Uh, Jesus has healed. He's had parables. uh, He's had a big day. It started on the Sabbath day and it's gone on to the next day and Jesus is tired. So he says, let's go away. Let's go to the other side of the lake. So they hop in and the way the lake was positioned there there would be a lot of uh, winds that would come out of nowhere because it was hot inland and it was cool on the the mediterranean sea and the winds would sweep down and go offshore and they'd make all these waves and they would come up out of nowhere and so the disciples they push off and in the middle of the night jesus goes to the stern and he decides he's going to sleep puts his head on a cushion and then the storms come up because they came up pretty quickly And they were common, but for this one, this one was a bit scary. These experienced fishermen were a little bit caught off guard, and they thought they were going to die. It wasn't just the waves that was scaring them. It wasn't just the sea that was scaring them. It was all that the sea represented that was scaring them. The sea in that day, you can look back in the book of Daniel, all the evil that they can find comes from the sea. That's where the monsters live. That's where there are things that you can't control. They all come from it. And now they're going to be cast into the sea where all bad things live, and they're surely going to die. So what do they do? They start to panic. Meanwhile, Jesus is taking a nap. They start to panic, they start to bail the water out, they start adjusting the sails, and then finally they look back and go, there's only 12 of us doing the work, where's the other guy? he's sleeping great and in bad brad's paraphrase it's probably bad but my paraphrase they go look at jesus and go dude how are you sleeping through this it's like sleeping through an earthquake how do you do that and jesus wakes up and if he's like me he wakes up and goes what's happening i don't understand this He looks at them and he comes and he goes to the front of the boat and the first thing he says was, Quiet, be still. And I have to wonder if he was talking both to the wind and the waves as well as to the disciples in the boat. Quiet, be still. I think a lot of times we don't rest enough and a lot of times we then become a lot like the disciples. We see the wind and the waves peeking up and getting out of control and we think we're surely going to die. We start bailing water. We start adjusting the sails. We try to correct course to get to some place where we think that we'll be safe. And really, the person who's in control of it all is doing what? Resting. Jesus says, comment back to them at the end of it. Where is your faith? Don't you have faith by now? Haven't you seen what I've done? He's just fed 5,000 people. He's told parables about how the kingdom of God is right with them right now. And here they think that they're going to perish when the son of God is sitting right beside them. We do the same thing, don't we? We have a week like we did last week where elections throw people in turmoil. When I understand a lot of the fears that happening, and some of the fears are warranted, some of them are fears, but we start to think that the winds are getting too high, the waves are getting too big, we're surely going to die, and we forget to look in the back of the boat and see that this guy they call the Prince of what? Peace is with us. We think that we have no control over the situation. We think that it's just going to come sweep us off and we're going to descend into everything that's evil. And we miss it. And we miss Him. We serve a God who is bigger than our Tuesday elections. We serve a God who is bigger than a number four losing to a number 20. We serve a God who is bigger than everything that we think that we can control. I had to get the USC thing in. We serve a God that that is bigger than anything that we can control. And yet when the wind and the waves start to peak up, our first thing is God is not here. And I wonder what it would look like if the people who serve God, the one who supports, whose governments are on his shoulders, I wonder what it would look like if we had the peace that Jesus has in the back of the boat in the middle of the storm. There's another storm uh, uh, story in in the gospels and this time the disciples are out and the wind starts picking up again and they're sure they're going to die and then they wonder where Jesus is because Jesus went to pray and told them he'd catch up with them later and then when they find Jesus in the middle of the storms they think they're going to die again this time Jesus is walking he's walking on top of the waves that they thought that were going to kill them there's some symbolism there All of these things that you think are going to bring us certain death where is Jesus in that story on top of it all is he being affected by the winds and the waves and the storms that we have no he's walking on top of them and he calls Peter out and Peter as long as he's got his eyes in the right place walks also on on top of them. And then he looks around and goes, oh my gosh, those are some huge waves. And then he sinks. It's easy to get wrapped up in fear. We live in a fear-based society. The past six months have been nothing but fear, no matter what side you're on, no matter if you're red or blue or orange, whatever the, the, the independent party was, maybe that should have been another party. But no matter what colored party you affiliate with, We have been inundated with fear constantly thinking that the winds and the waves are going to crash and we're going to die but our God walks on top of those. It doesn't mean that those fears shouldn't happen. It doesn't mean that we be uh, diligent in making sure that we do our job but we are a people of hope. We are people who serve a God who's on top of those things. There's one warning that's given in, in, in scriptures uh, in, the, in, in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews in chapter four. Hebrews is all about rest and Sabbath. And in chapter four, there's a warning that comes along. There's one thing that we can miss. And the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, the writer of Hebrews is very diligent to make sure that we don't miss the one thing that we can miss. She says this in Hebrews chapter one. Uh, uh, Hebrews 4 verse 1, therefore, since the promising promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found falling short of it. In verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. There's one thing that we could miss, and it's that peace of rest that only Christ brings. In Hebrews 4, it sets up this whole thing by thinking that week that the people of Israel were going to enter this land and everything would have been great. That was the rest that they had. But there's people who stayed outside of it. Two tribes that stayed outside, Gad and Manasseh. They stayed outside of the land and they never found rest. Hebrews is telling us, don't miss it. Don't get so wrapped up in everything that's happening that you forget where your rest is. Don't forget that. I wonder what it would be like if we modeled that peace, that confidence that our God walks on the oceans, that our God walks on the fears. And it's easy to stand back and say that we shouldn't be afraid because there's some real fears out there. Don't, Don't hear me say that your fears aren't warranted. But don't let those fears control us. Don't let those fears steal the joy of who your God is and who's in the back of your boat. Because no matter how high the wave, no matter how bad the storm or how quickly it's come up, Jesus Quiets them with a word. He says, Quiet, be still, rest. We can rest assured that our Prince of Peace is still with us, no matter who is in charge of our government, no matter who is in charge of our workplace, no matter what laws come, they don't stop us from being that presence of Christ in our homes in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. We have a hope, and his name is Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that through all of the turmoil that we see in our world, we turn to you. The government rests upon your shoulders, as Isaiah says, and that you aren't shifted by what happens on election days. You're not shifted by what happens on Wednesday morning. You're not shifted by what happens in our lives. You are caring for us. You've experienced these fears, but you're not swept away in them. And Lord, no matter how big these fears get, may we continue to turn to you. No matter how choppy the water gets, no matter how high the waves are, no matter how bad the winds are blowing, may we turn to you as our hope is built on nothing less than you, God. And when fears come, when anxiety rules the day, may we turn back to you. may, may, May we not let the fear and anxiety rule us. So Father, we thank you for your peace. And may we take your peace. May we live in your peace. In your name we pray. Amen.